First Kings chapter 1. It's good to be back with you all this evening, back in our study. We started last week of First Kings chapter 1. And uh, just for sake of time tonight, I'm not going to go over all the background that we did last week. Um, when we started off this study, really when you look into the first couple verses here, you get a lot of the background, what's happening. We'll go over a little bit here in a second. Um, but uh, if you would, this evening with me for just a few minutes, use your imagination, all right, and uh, put yourself in the time of Israel here, all right? Maybe you are one of King David's uh, soldiers, maybe you are placed in the actual palace, um, and, and just think with me what is all happening at this time. And we talked a little bit about this last week. King David is on his deathbed, he's sick, he's older in age. He's being taken care of, but while uh, Israel is going through this uh, nervous, vulnerable transition, who's going to be the next king? Who's going to take over? Um, David's um, now oldest son, living son, Adonijah, uh, pops up, and last week we called him the opportunist. All right, He wanted to push his own agenda, and uh, he pops onto the scene, and uh, he starts to push his own agenda, reject what God had already made very clear that Solomon was going to be the next king of Israel, reject God's will, and um, just basically claim that his, his plan was better, that would work out for Israel better. And then people started to take up that cause as well. Joab, uh, Abiathar, the priest, and um, other of King David's sons, they start to take up this, uh, this cause and say, yeah, this makes more logical sense for us at this time. Uh, Adonijah's older. Uh, he's a man of war. Um, he comes from good stock. This is Absalom's brother. Um, and, and so, yeah, this makes sense. And he's got Joab, uh, the, the, the king of, uh, or the captain of the guard. Uh, he's got Abiathar, a high priest on his side. So this just, it's making sense to people of Israel. And Adonijah is um, uh, getting this all together. And so maybe you're you're in the palace and you walk by and, and you walk by King David's chambers and there his bodyguards are outside of the chambers uh, and he is being taken care of inside of the chambers. Uh, and you walk throughout the palace and you pass Adonijah who is getting a uh, man together. Everybody he passes, uh, if it were today, you know, he's uh, handing out his little pens that you put on, vote for Adonijah, whatever it might be. Uh, and he's uh, telling everybody his great plan, uh, what's going to happen. He's going to be the next king of Israel. He holds this ceremony. Um, he, he creates this feast. All his brothers come except Solomon. Uh, and Joab is there. Abiathar is there. And perhaps you were invited to be there as well. And so all of this is taking place right now uh, in this time. And uh, this is going to kind of set the, the scene as we continue in our narrative here this evening. We're about to be introduced to another character in this uh, historical event, this narrative. Uh, as you can see, we went over this last week. A little bit hard to see the exact little words there, but that red is where we are in the uh, timeline of Israel in the Old Testament. This is during the kings, all right, the monarchy. Uh, there were times of the patriarchs, the wilderness, uh, the conquest, and then you had the period of the judges. Then Israel asked for a king, and that started the period of the kings. And so here we are in 1 Kings chapter 1. And our timeless truth last week was that pride destroys the work of God. That's what we looked at last week, and especially in vulnerable times of transition, um, but in everything in life, pride really just destroys the work of God. That's what Adonijah is doing here. He's making the whole situation worse, promoting 
himself. So we pick up in our narrative here, Adonijah has these men together, and people are starting to get behind him as the next king of Israel, and they're holding a banquet. And here is where we see the next response to this vulnerable time of transition. Uh, and, and we see it through a man named Nathan. All right, so look with me, if you will. First uh, Kings chapter 1, we're going to pick up at verse 11. That's where we left off, verse 11. Wherefore Nathan spake unto Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Hast thou not heard that Adonijah the son of Haggath doth reign, and David our Lord knoweth it not? Now therefore come, let me, I pray thee, give thee counsel, that thou mayest save thine own life and the life of thy son Solomon. Go and get thee in unto King David, and say unto him, Didst not thou, my lord, O king, swear unto thine handmaid, saying, Assuredly Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne. Why then does Adonijah reign? Behold, while thou yet talkest there with the king, I, will, I also will come in after thee and confirm thy words. Verse 15, And Bathsheba went in unto the king, into the chamber, and the king was very old. And Abishag the Shudamite ministered unto the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did obeisance unto the king. And the king said, What wouldest thou? And she said unto him, My lord, thou swearest by the Lord thy God unto thine handmaid, saying, Assure Solomon... Thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon thy throne. And now, behold, Adonijah reigneth, and now, my lord the king, thou knowest it not. And he hath slain oxen and fat calf, and the fat calf, and sheep in abundance, and hath called all the sons of the kings, and Abiathar the priest, and Joab the captain of the host. But Solomon thy servant hath he not called. And thou, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are upon thee, that thou shouldest tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, it shall come to pass when my lord the king shall sleep with his fathers that I and my son Solomon shall be counted offenders. And lo, while she yet talked with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. They told the king, saying, Behold, Nathan the prophet. And when he was come in before the king, he bowed himself before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord, O king, hast thou said Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne? For he has gone down this day, and hath slain oxen, and uh, fat cattle, and sheep, in abundance, and hath called all the king's sons, and the captains of the host, and Abiathar the priest. And behold, they eat and drink before him, and say, God save King Adonijah. But me, even me thy servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and thy servant Solomon, hath he not called? Is this thing done by my lord the king, and thou hast not showed it unto thy servant? who should sit on the throne of my Lord, the King, after him. We'll stop right there for right now. Tonight we're going to look at Nathan the Loyalist. Nathan the Loyalist. Um, hopefully you've heard the word loyalist before. Now, uh, in America, that might have a little bit of a negative connotation because loyalists back in the Revolutionary War were uh, people that lived in the colonies that still supported the British Army, the British uh, government. They were called loyalists. They're also called Tories or royalists or king's men. And basically, these, these were men and women in the colonies during the Revolutionary War uh, that supported uh, the British cause. 
And they were over here in the colonies. Now tonight I'm not going to get in a big moral debate on who was right uh, in this time of history, but that is what they were called. They were called loyalists. And many of these loyalists uh, even made it known to the British army and to the British government that if, if push came to shove and they needed to go to battle for the British uh, cause, they would do so. That's what they had claimed. And uh, the time came where... Uh, the British armies took them up on that and acted in the assumption that thousands of these loyalists uh, would be on their side. And when they started their uh, southern campaign in 1780 and 1781, they were hit with a, a really stark reality in that not all people that said they were loyalists and that would go to war for the British cause did so. Now they did have some that proved their loyalty by their actions. You see, when push came to shove, these loyalists didn't really show loyalty at all. I mean, loyalty is shown with your actions. They were not loyal. By its truest definitions, these loyalists were not loyal to, loyalists at all because their actions did not show loyalty to the British government. Now, some did, uh, however, and went to war and went to battle, and those loyalists proved their loyalty. Tonight, we're looking at Nathan the loyalist. Many people had probably thought that Joab, David's nephew, the captain of the army, one of David's supporters, many people probably thought he was a loyalist for many years, supporting the king's cause. Many people probably thought that Abiathar was loyal to God. He's one of the high priests. Yet Joab knew David chose Solomon, and Abiathar knew God's will was Solomon. And even though they voiced they were loyal to the king and they were loyal to God, we see a key truth about loyalty here in our narrative. Practically speaking, everyone is loyal to something. The object of our loyalty will come out in our actions. And when times are good and when times are vulnerable and times are hard, our actions will show who we're loyal to, what we're loyal to. John Barth put it this way, all men are loyal, but their objectives of allegiance are at best approximate. Now, I hope as Christians, our allegiance, the object of our allegiance is an approximate. Uh, Martin Luther said this, where the battle rages, there the loyalty of a soldier is proven. Right? It's proven by action. You can't just say you're loyal. Let's see some action behind it. Prove that. So let's look at Nathan tonight. And um, again, he, we see him in verse 11 here. The first thing that I see is that Nathan advises Bathsheba. All right, that's the first thing that he does here. Uh, if you look at verse um, 11, we have the word wherefore there. I mean, this is something that uh, here is Nathan and his king is on his deathbed and he gets the word about Adonijah pushing himself forward to be king and he says, this is not right, something needs to happen. And I'm going to immediately make something happen because this is very time sensitive. And so Nathan immediately responds um, and he goes to Bathsheba, and again, David is dying, and action needed to be taken before the king died, and the situation got any worse. And so Nathan advises Bathsheba. So this is the person he goes to. Nathan chooses to go through Bathsheba. Now, uh, I think this really does say a lot about Bathsheba here. Uh, we, we know Bathsheba as the adulteress, right? Um, but we have to understand that that sin that we talk about all the time uh, with King David was actually 20 plus years before this. Solomon's 20 years old here, and Solomon was the second son after David, or actually lost that first son. 
So this is over 20 years, and you almost see a spirit here in Bathsheba that is right with the Lord, that is humble, uh, that is who Nathan goes to to approach the, the, to King David. And so we see that here. And many times people see Bathsheba as the adulteress, but thank God we serve a God of second chances. And a God who can use a marred vessel, which every one of us are. We remember Bathsheba as the adulteress, but what about as the woman who steps in here and saves Israel? I mean, she pleads on Israel's behalf and on God's behalf here. And it really saves from even more disaster starting to happen. So he goes through Bathsheba. Not only do you see that, though, but Nathan is concerned for Solomon and Bathsheba's life. Um, it's unfortunate, but we're going to see this kind of play out through the book of First Kings. The strategy of many of the rulers are going to be get rid of the competition. I mean, if, if they're opposed or if they were, had any chance of being next king or queen, whatever it might be, as soon as we have people on our side, we're just going to eliminate the competition. And that's unfortunately what we're going to see through the book of First Kings. But this was obviously a real threat. Even Bathsheba says that to King David in verse 21 and says, we will be found as, as offenders uh, if this takes place and you are, are, are already uh, passed. And so we see that it's a very real threat, and you can really say by Nathan taking action here, he's kind of putting himself in the place of an offender as well. I mean, he's taking up the cause of Solomon and Bathsheba, and uh, based on the, the, the history record that we're going to get in 1 Kings, he would be putting himself right in the line of fire as well as an offender. And so Nathan is showing his loyalty here, he's proven it by his actions, and um, he's going to uh, the right person. He knew Bathsheba was the right person to approach the king. And uh, he's telling her how serious the situation is here. Um, that this could potentially uh, be her life. And then we also see that Nathan um, actually tells Bathsheba exactly what to say. When I was reading, you probably heard one or two very similar verses. All right, Because Nathan gives Bathsheba the words to say here. Um, And in verse 14, Nathan tells Bathsheba what to say and how to say it. In verse 15, Bathsheba went immediately uh, and did as she was told. It was not a scheme, all right? This This isn't something that was, let's see how we can trick the king. This was Nathan saying, how can we best use this time? How can we be most effective? And letting King David know something's got to happen. There needs to be action to take place, right? They're not trying to trick the king here. And so that's what we see. And when you take into account that Nathan is a loyalist here, you have to understand the promptness of his response, right? Uh, Because of where his loyalty was, as soon as he heard of this, he responded very promptly. And it was serious, and he took immediate action. And many times when people act immediately or spring into action um, in an immediate time frame, we usually think that that initial action is not very wise, right? When you just spring into action but again, it has a lot to do with where your loyalty is. And we see that he gives very wise advice to Bathsheba here. And um, we don't always, uh, always equate wisdom with being the fast and first response. But uh, we're going to see a lot about wisdom here in chapter 2 and chapter 3 with uh, King Solomon. And we'll talk a little bit more about wisdom then. So when you are loyal to someone or something, it springs you to action. That's what is taking place in Nathan's life. Your loyalty is proven through your action. We would claim that we are loyal to God, right? We would all probably claim that tonight. But the fact of the matter is that someone who is truly loyal is someone who will act on that loyalty. 
Here we are in the narrative. King David is sick, about to die, and Adonijah is rallying to promote himself as the next king. And Nathan springs into action. There are other men here in our account who many people saw as loyal in the past. But in times of crisis, right, the crisis going on here, King David can't rule anymore. Who's going to be the next leader? Something has to be done. You saw that vulnerable times can get some of the most loyal people to turn from what they once were loyal to. What gets in the way of loyalty? Many times it's stability that's lost. Insecurity sets in. When there are whys or what's that you cannot answer. When pride seeps in like we looked at last week and you're focused on self. Many of us may say that we love God, but the simplest of things turn our loyalty away and turn our actions away. Oh, I'm loyal to God, but uh, this game is on. Or working Wednesdays is really, nights is going to really help our family with money. Hey, I'm loyal to God, but as soon as a transition happens in our church, we begin to think of self again and, and our own wants and our own desires. Um, I'm loyal to God, but things are different now. I don't know why this is in my life or what is going to happen with this, so it's really hard for me to be loyal if I can't see exactly what's happening or know all the answers or see exactly what God is doing. I'm going to need to fully understand the circumstance or command or the reason before I give my service, before I give my life, before I give my loyalty. And that's what's happening here. Nathan springs into action because of his loyalty. The second thing that we see in our narrative is Nathan's advice was very wise. This is what we see in Bathsheba's response here. Not only did Nathan spring into action, but we see that his action he took was wise. He goes to the right person and he tells her what to say. Nathan tells Bathsheba to address the king with two separate points. The first thing is a reminder. Bathsheba reminded King David of his oath. She's alluding to 1 Chronicles 22, verses 6-13, through when David announces the building of the temple, and which ruler, King Solomon, would build that temple. And she's alluding to that oath that he had taken, and maybe even... uh, went back to and claimed many times after that to Bathsheba and to Nathan. And so it's a reminder here. Um, You even see further of the the nickname, you could say, given to uh, Solomon in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 24 through 25, was named Jedidiah, beloved of the Lord. And Nathan would call Solomon that because he knew he was the next uh, ruler of Israel. And throughout this speech of Bathsheba, there is a word that... um, that we see the first part that it really rests on, rests on is the word swear. This is an oath that King David had made. She is calling the king to remember. Hey king, do you remember when you said this promise? You promised this. When God brought this to your attention and you claimed before all of Israel that Solomon would be the next king. I remember using this same tactic as a child to my parents, right? Uh, hey, Dad, do you remember when you said we could go fishing all that time ago, whatever it might be? Or, hey, Mom, remember when you said we could go out to eat? And she might respond, well, I, I never said that. And I would say, oh, I just assumed because you didn't say no, right? You were promising that we could go out to eat, whatever it might be. And uh, that's, how, that's the way that it went. Uh, be very careful, right? Kids uh, can be very tricky, and they have the mind of an elephant, right? Uh, hey, remember 15 years ago when you uh, promised this? Uh, now it's time to pay up, mom and dad, whatever it might be. So it's not a scheme, but you can see the tactic here. Remember when you said this? Remember when this is what God said and you promised 
this. That's the first way that she approaches him. And then she just simply informs King David on what's happening. Hey, remember your oath. This is what's taking place right now. That she even informed David on what was currently taking place with Adonijah. What is happening? Well, Adonijah is promoting himself king. And your nephew, Joab, yeah, the captain of the army, he has supported Adonijah. And Abiathar, the high priest, he has put his stamp of approval on Adonijah. And the, and the rest of your sons, except Solomon, they have put their stamp on, of approval on Adonijah. And this is what's happening around you. And um, it, it also means that uh, if you are to die king and this is to take place, then your son Solomon and myself, we're going to be counted as offenders. That's what's going to happen here. We're in, we're in danger because of this. And even though David uh, is uh, weak at this time, and I'm sure this all grabbed his attention. All right, um, But the statements get stronger as David listens to the word of his dear Bathsheba, his long, and then he listens to the word of his long-lasting, loyal, loving friend, Nathan, as Nathan enters the room. And Nathan addresses the king, right? This is the third thing that we see in our narrative. To strengthen this speech and to further prove this truth and to push the king to action or impact the king to action, Nathan comes in and backs up everything that Bathsheba had previously said. If you remember back to verse 14 that we read, Nathan told Bathsheba that's exactly what he would do. He would come in and confirm her words to King David. So Nathan comes in and he's announced to the king in verses 22 and 23. And uh, Nathan also asks the king uh, two questions in a way here. And the first thing that Nathan does is ask the king if this is something from the king. He asks David if David has ordered Adonijah to promote himself. This is actually, uh, many, many scholars thought this, this might be a rhetorical question, but if we go farther down, which we will in verse 27, you see it's actually a concern of Nathan here. I mean, is this something that you did that I didn't know about? Did you change your mind? Did you, I mean, is this something that's new that you haven't told me yet or whatever it might be? And so the first thing he does is ask, hey, David, is this of you? Are you the one that's allowing Adonijah to do this? Um, after all, all these men like Joab and Abiathar and David's sons were coming to his case. This might have been a very real question uh, in Nathan's life, Nathan the prophet. But then he informs David, just like Bathsheba did, on what's happening. And it's interesting, as Nathan probably and Bathsheba are talking, and Nathan says, by the way, Zadok, the high priest, and Naiah, the captain of your bodyguard, and your son Solomon um, weren't invited. There's something wrong here uh, because all of these men are very close and true and loyal to you. Uh, I'm sure something is reoccurring in David's mind. I mean, it's almost like deja vu. Nathan and Bathsheba, hey, you have a son that's promoting himself to be king, and that's not what God has said. Solomon is to be the next king, but he's promoting his cause. He's getting people on his side. And I guarantee you David's heart sunk as he remembered his prized son, Absalom, several years prior. And how Absalom did the exact same thing and promoted himself in a very vulnerable time and started a civil war in Israel. And this is going through David's mind as he's remembering watching his prized son, the man that had all the good looks, that had all the talents, that Israel probably did look at and be like, man, we have got the next king here, Absalom, when he becomes king, where we're not going to skip a beat. And this is a man of war. He's very decorated. 
And David's starting to remember that. And David here, he's going to see the seriousness of this situation as well. And then Nathan asks one last question to David in verse 27. Uh, he says, is, is this thing done by my Lord the King, and, and thou hast not showed it unto thy servant, unto me? Who would sit on thy throne of my Lord and the King after him? Again, this is part of Nathan that is concerned that the King is actually might be playing a role in this. And so this is... Uh, something and David is experiencing some deja vu and whatever is the case Nathan's advice and counsel to Bathsheba and address to the king springs King David in his old age on his deathbed to some final actions as king so we see Nathan impacts the king to action in verses 28 through 27 we didn't actually uh, look this far but I want you to look down uh, at verse 28 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 28. Then King David answered and said, Call me Bathsheba. And she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king sware and said, As the Lord liveth, that hath redeemed my soul out of all distress, even as I swear unto thee by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne in my stead, even so will I certainly do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and did reverence to the king and said, Let my lord King David live forever. And King David said, Call me Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. And they came before the king. The king also said unto them, Take with you the servants of your lord and cause Solomon my son to ride upon mine own mule and bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there king over Israel and blow ye with the trumpet and say, God save King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him, uh, that he may come and sit upon my throne, for he shall be king in my stead, and I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king and said, Amen, the Lord God of my lord the king says, say so too. As the Lord hath been with my lord the king, even so be he with Solomon, and make his throne greater than the throne of my lord king David. So this struck a chord in the king's life. This propelled him to action. Now, I remember as a, uh, as a teenage guy, when my mom or my, uh, my dad would ask me to help my younger sister with her homework, or maybe help her with a chore around the house or something like that, um, it was like, are you crazy? I mean, help my younger sister with her homework? Uh, that's not something older brothers do. But I remember one time we were traveling through not a great part of Atlanta, and it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and uh, we get out of a gas station, and there's some very sketchy people already at the gas station. I remember my dad looking back and saying, Joe, Andrew, Tom, I want you to walk in with your sisters and protect them. And of course, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll jump to that. That's going to spring me to action. I'm not going to help with homework, but when push comes to shove, yeah, I've, I've got my sisters back, whatever it might be. It sprung us brothers into action. You should have seen the three-star brothers escort their one sister into the gas station that night. Um, with all the, um, the pride in the world or uh, all the confidence in the world. And it really sprung us into action that night. Well, th this is what's happening in King David's life. I mean, Bathsheba, uh, his, his beloved wife, and then his very close friend for many years, Nathan, say, something needs to happen. And, and David's saying, I remember this happening before. Something needs to be done. And I'm in a position that I can do something about it. So the first thing it, that he does is reaffirm his oath with Bathsheba. 
Right? He says, as I told you before, I'm going to reaffirm that oath today. Solomon will be the next king of Israel. And uh, we see that Bathsheba in verse 31 shows reverence and relief, both that her life is no longer in danger and that the king hearkened unto their words. Then King David calls for the high priest Zadok, Nathan the oil friend and the prophet of God, and Benaiah, who was the head of David's personal bodyguards. Three loyal, trustworthy men that had proved with their actions their loyalty to the king. And through verse 35, David gives these three men instructions to go and anoint Solomon, the next king of Israel. And then we see Benaiah shows his excitement of God's working. Now this is one of my favorite parts of our narrative here. All right, David calls his three most loyal men, and you have Zadok, uh, who probably is known for uh, teaching the scriptures, uh, being very vocal. Um, he wasn't quiet at all. And then you have Nathan, the prophet of God, definitely not quiet, didn't care what the king thought earlier, right, when he approached him about his sin, and he's always proclaiming what God said. And then you have Benaiah, the bodyguard. And uh, he doesn't say much. This is just how I picture it. He doesn't say much, and he protects David. He, he runs the bodyguards, and David goes about his business, and he watches other people. And uh, these three, three men are standing before David, and David goes, this is what's going to happen. Um, God's will is going to take place. Solomon's going to be the next king. And uh, here's Zadok, and he kind of affirms with a, a head nod, and Nathan's very relieved that something's happening. And then you have Benaiah, and he's like, Amen! And I feel like Zadok and Nathan might have been like, he speaks and looks at him a little bit. But then Benaiah kind of proves himself and why he's reacting this way. He says, this is God's work. This is God's will. Hey, I'm excited I get to be a part of it. And King David, my prayer is that God uses Solomon even more than he used you. Benaiah is pretty excited about seeing God work. And we're not going to dwell on this tonight. But I think that when our loyalty is truly a loyalty to God, we get excited about seeing God work. We get excited about being involved in the work of God. That's what Benaiah is doing here. That is as far as we'll get tonight in our narrative tonight. But I want to ask you a simple question tonight. Nathan's loyalty. What do we learn about Nathan's loyalty? Nathan was loyal to King David... But, that's not the object of Nathan's loyalty. I think the object of Nathan's loyalty is God and God's word. That's why we call Nathan the loyalist. Yeah, it came across as being loyal to to the king, as being loyal to the throne, and he was. But there are several things about this man, Nathan, that prove to us tonight, and that prove to me without a doubt, that where Nathan's loyalty was, was to God and God's word. The first thing, the reason I say that is because Nathan was literally a prophet of God, of Jehovah. I mean, he spoke the words on behalf of God. God would bring him the words to say and he would speak them. And we see that in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 2 when he comes on the scene. This is a prophet of the living God. He's here to speak on behalf of God. And he does so throughout his life as we read about him. Nathan... Uh, speaks, sorry about that typo, Nathan speaks God's truth to David about the building of the temple. Now this is unique as well, because uh, David says, I'm going to build, Nathan, come here, you're my friend, 
I'm going to build Jehovah God an amazing temple. And Nathan says, that is a great idea. You should do it. But then Nathan goes to bed that night, and God reveals to him, no, this isn't going to be David. This is going to be Solomon. Solomon's not a man of war. Solomon's not a bloody man. This is going to be Solomon. And Nathan goes back to the king, even though it might have been, not have been popular to King David, and said, this isn't what's going to happen. God revealed this to me. And so he's speaking on behalf of God's truth there as well. And then the situation we all know, right? He confronts his dear friend, the most powerful man in the world, about his sin with Bathsheba. All of these are proving to me where Nathan's loyalty is. His actions are proving who is the object of his loyalty. Well, it's God. And when God spoke God's words that were truth to Nathan, that's what he was loyal to. And then obviously, here as well, as he advises David to take action against the pride of Adonijah because of God's previous promise. So what is our timeless truth tonight? We must stay loyal to our Savior and to His Word. That's what I'm learning from Nathan here. Nathan the loyalist. Yeah, he was loyal to King David, but that's not where the object of his loyalty is. We need to stay loyal to God. We need to stay true to His principles of holiness and righteousness and to His commandments. He should be the object of our loyalty. So what can we learn about loyalty to God this evening in our just few last minutes here? The first thing, I think, is this. A knowledge of and a closeness closeness with is the only thing that leads to true loyalty. Let me explain this a little bit. Uh, Megan Turner said it this way. It isn't easy. It isn't an easy thing to give your loyalty, your service, your sacrifice, your all to someone you don't know or don't know very well. If you're not regularly getting to know your God, you will not prove loyalty to Him in your actions. When actions call you to do something hard in the Christian life. When actions call you to give up some entertainment that's worldly. When actions around you, you don't understand. And when something's hard in your life, if you don't know your God, your actions probably aren't going to respond with loyalty to Him. We have to know our God better. It's the hardest thing in life to sacrifice, to lay down our feelings, our ego, and even our life for someone you don't even know well. Christian, tonight, do you know your God better this week? Many of you have been saved for years upon years with maybe a very little growth in your knowledge of who God is. Hey, if you can look back to this last year and not feel closer to God now, something's probably wrong. Many of you may feel the farthest from God you have ever felt as a Christian. It's not because God is far off. It's because you are not looking and getting to know Him. Christian, getting to know God requires diligence. It requires getting to know God uh, in, in a daily basis. Discipline. Diligence. You see, I believe Nathan knew God. And even when he was prompted to tell the most mighty man in the world about his sin, Nathan was loyal, not to David, to God. Because he knew his God. This is a truth that we see all throughout Scripture. I I don't think it's uh, a coincidence that when I'm studying this and I'm studying verses that show uh, how Christians are supposed to get to know their God, the list is unlimited, all right? Of verses that say to know your God better, to know His commandments, to know His precepts. It's because God 
has given to us His Word and He realizes that true loyalty that is sprung to action is only going to happen if you know Him. If you know Him well. Proverbs 8.17 says, I love them that love Me and those that seek Me early shall find Me. Psalm 119.10, With my whole heart have I sought Thee. O let me not wander from Thy commandments. That's written by one of our characters in our narrative. John 10.27, probably my favorite in this list. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Second Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him. The fact is this evening that loyalty to God to the extreme is a very rare thing. And if you think you can have this type of loyalty to stand up for what is right and be a testimony at work when others are mocking God, or still stay faithful to God when something rocks your world, but not have to have a daily walk with God, you're wrong. You have to know your God. It will not happen. Your loyalty will only go as far as your diligence and discipline to make time for your God. Your loyalty to your God will only go as far as your diligence and discipline to make time for Him. When it comes to loyalty, there are evil examples of people who are loyalty uh, or loyal all the time to the wrong things. Maybe you think of terrorists that are evil, that are murderous. But the fact of the matter is they are willing to die for something because they're loyal to it. Sometimes the simplest things in life make us turn our back on a God who loves us. Sports, self, like in Adonijah's case, money, lust. You need to make sure you know your God better and better. And the way that we do that is by reading his book. It's a simple song. We sang it as we were kids. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Loyalty is only going to happen with the knowledge of and a closeness with. That's what Nathan is experiencing here. The second thing I think we need to realize is that true loyalty is proven by action. We've seen that tonight. Loyalty is proven by action. Like it or not, this evening we could sit and evaluate individual Christians' lives just like we are doing to Nathan here. And I wonder if our actions show a loyalty to a fault to our God. I wonder if people look at us and can clearly see loyalty to God through our actions. I wonder tonight, Father, if your kids see loyalty to God through your actions or just loyalty to work or your sports teams or something else. And I'm curious tonight, wife or mother or sister in Christ, if, if your husband or your kids or your friends see a loyalty to God that is displayed in your conversations about others or your actions toward others, does it reflect the object of your loyalty being God? Or does it reflect the object of your loyalty being self? Or maybe someone else? I wonder, teacher, does the way that you live your life in school and out of school show students that your sole loyalty and the object of your loyalty is God and His commandments and His righteousness? How about it, teenager? If we were to sect your life tonight... Was your music, your private thoughts, your movies, your conversations with friends, does it reflect a loyalty to your Savior? How about it, pastors? 
When people look at our lives and if they could dissect our lives, would they say, this man is loyal to God? Because his actions show it. Our actions say a lot about us. And I would like to ask you tonight to search your life and see the motives behind your actions. And see your actions. Is your life happening because you are loyal to God? Maybe you can search your life and say, man, entertainment seems to be what I love and looking forward to. And my family is the top of my priority list. And your family won't be where it needs to be without God being the sole purpose of your loyalty. Psalm 119, verse 60, again, the Bible is full of truths about our actions proving where our heart really is and where our loyalty really is. The same author of one of our verses earlier and the fact that a knowledge of brings us to loyalty. Psalm 119, verse 60, just a few verses later, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord, or you are loyal to the Lord, is what Paul is saying there. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Galatians 6, 7 through 10, talking about the reaping and sowing uh, principle there. But I love the last couple verses there. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto those, them who are of the household of faith. And in Romans 12, 1 and 2, we all know that. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Your actions will prove your loyalty. What you make time for will prove your loyalty. Even when it doesn't make sense or you don't know all the whys, your actions will prove who you are truly loyal to. The Bible is not lacking in verses about our actions showing our hearts. You may say tonight that you serve the living God and you may have even convinced yourself that you are truly loyal to Him. But perhaps you're here tonight and your actions show a little bit otherwise. I've probably mentioned this before. But if there's a person in my life or two people in my life that have been a testimony to me about being loyal to God and it was proving with their action, it would be my mom and dad. And, uh, and I don't say this lightly, and I'm not meaning to put them on a pedestal, but one of the biggest reasons outside of the grace of God working in my life that I am where I am today and have a love for the Bible is because I woke up at 6 a.m. every morning to a dad that was sitting there on his knees praying. I don't remember a morning I didn't see him doing that. Hey, I came home from school every day to a mom that said, this is what we're going to pray for as a family right now. We're going to pray for this family in the church that's going through this. We're going to pray for your brother that's going through this. We're going to pray for your father as he's at work today and dealing with this. Day after day, hey, I woke up on Sunday mornings and went to church Sunday evening and went to church Wednesday nights and was told that I couldn't play in championship baseball games on Sunday, not because my parents were old-fashioned, because they had a loyalty to someone that was proven in their action. And it impacted me. And that's our last point this evening. Loyalty to God impacts others around you. Someone who is truly loyal to God impacts those around him. Nathan impacted the entire nation of Israel here. He impacted the king on several occasions. A loyal follower of Christ will impact their kids, Father. 
will impact their spouse, wife, will impact their congregation, pastors, will impact their grandkids, grandparents, will impact their friends, teenager. What an impact could take place when God's people decide to get a passion for him, to learn and know of him daily, which results in our actions showing his righteousness, his holiness, and his commandments. Families on fire for God. Churches on fire to see God work and to serve. Teachers daily looking for opportunities to impact a student instead of just deal with them. Think of the impact of individuals whose loyalty is solely to God. Not to others. Not necessarily to the church. Not to the school. But to God and his word alone. So as we conclude this evening, David is told the awful thing that's happening here in our narrative. And you look at what he does in verse 28, all right? And it's an amazing thing. King David says, this is going on. Action needs to be taken. Something has to be done for righteousness' sake. Hey, give me Zadok. Give me Joab. Give me Benaiah. Because I know I can trust them. I wonder if God looked at Eagle Heights tonight and said, man, I need a father to step up and get a family on fire for me. I need Christians to step up and get a church on fire for me. I need a teenager to step up and get a youth group on fire for me, to get a school on fire for me. I wonder if God looked down and named three people that he could trust and he could rely on based on your actions of loyalty. Would you be named? David said, give me Zadok, give me Nathan, give me Mediah without even thinking about it. I know I can trust them to do this. I know I can rely on them. I know that God has a lot of work he wants to do, but I wonder when push comes to shove and God needs to rely on a Christian, who is it that's remaining faithful that he can rely on? Is it a father? Is it a sister in Christ this evening? Is it a teenager? Can God look down and say, wow, I have a teenager that I can trust with this responsibility because I know they're loyal to me over their friends, over themselves. Loyalty is a very hard thing, but it's a very needed thing today. We need Christians loyal to God and loyal to the Word of God and to God's principles. In vulnerable times of transition, we don't need pride like we looked at last week. We need people who are loyal to God. People who are loyal to God's word. In a time of a wicked and perverse world, we need Christians who are loyal to God's principles. In a day and age where many churches and many Christians are more focused on entertainment, we need Christians who are loyal and faithful to God and his principles of holiness and righteousness. Can and will God find you loyal? Is he the object of your loyalty? Are you getting to know him so that your actions, even in the worst of times, reflect a soul loyalty to our creator and to our savior? Let's pray.